Going Postal Publishing, The Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Chapter 15 How in the hell did we get stuck with this job? Officer Edward Torola of the Iron Mountain Police Department said as he stood just outside the Dickinson County morgue. He wasn't alone. He stood with his partner of the past three years, Dean Destramp. They were guarding the bodies of Gary and Mary Wrangle. Ed didn't want to be there. After 12 years on the force, he'd expected to be beyond pointless jobs like watching two bodies. He was wrong. He should have expected that it was a possibility that he could draw guard duty. Dean and he both worked primarily overnight, and the Norman bodies had disappeared from the same morgue the day before. The morgue stood silently behind them. A new steel door was the only thing between them and the Wrangle bodies. Why in the hell does Niagara send their dead here anyways? Ed asked Dean. For Christ's sake, they're in a different state. Yeah, but we're only a few miles away, Dean answered. Guess that works better, rather than sending the bodies all the way to Marinette, or wherever it is that they send them. Besides, they do that just to give you something to be pissed off about. I'm starting to think that's true, Ed said, irritated at the very idea. He didn't doubt for a second that they could be trying to mess with him. It seemed that lately everybody was trying to mess with him. So, what do you think of this murder spree, or whatever it is? I guess it's over with, Dean said, looking at Ed. They apparently caught the kid that did it. That brings me back to why in the hell are we watching these bodies? It seems that if they caught the kid that did it, it seems that he would also be behind the disappearance of the other bodies. Doesn't that make sense to you? Hey, we're just following orders, man. If we don't do this, the lieutenant will have our asses. I know that, but I don't have to like it. He didn't like it at all. He loathed the idea that he was wasting his night in a morgue. The place was dark and dreary, reminding him of a bar. He liked the bar. He didn't like here. There was only one light in the hall, giving him barely enough light to see the entire corridor. The air was damp and musty. It wasn't a pleasant scent to breathe. He couldn't wait to get out of the morgue and back onto the streets where he belonged. He looked down at his watch. It was four in the morning. The sun would be coming up in about two hours. They'd be allowed to leave about an hour after that, when the medical examiner would arrive for his shift. He couldn't wait. The sound of metal striking metal from within the morgue startled them both. Ed looked at Dean for a moment, then at the closed door behind them. The door was solid, without windows. There was no way of seeing inside without opening the door. All that was visible from within was the cracks of light that shone between the door and its frame. What in the hell was that? Ed asked, his hand moving instinctively to his gun. He pulled it from the holster and pointed it towards the ceiling. I heard something. I heard it too, Dean said, his eyes so large that they looked as if they were bulging from their sockets. It came from inside. Is there another way in? Ed shook his head. No! This is the only way in or out. He paused, thinking over what he'd just said. 
when he spoke again, he whispered, That means that somebody has been in there the whole time. We better go in there and check it out. Ed knew that Dean was right, but going into the morgue was the last thing he wanted to do. Something wasn't right, but he knew that they needed to investigate. Ed checked his gun, making sure that it was ready to fire. Dean did the same. Ed found that his empty hand was reaching forward, grabbing hold of the door handle. He twisted, listening to the click as the door released. He pushed it inwards and entered the morgue with Dean behind him. He scanned the room with his eyes as well as his gun. The room looked virtually unchanged from his first trip inside that night. He'd been in there to inspect what they were guarding. It was his responsibility to see if there were any hazards to be aware of, such as hiding spots, trap doors, hidden rooms, and just about any other form of nonsense he could think of. He found none of those. Then came the sound. He had missed something. To the best of his knowledge, there was only one change from the first visit, and it was a big one. The body of Gary Rangel was on the floor. The metal cart that the body had been on had been moved almost five feet, where it struck the metal table that would soon house the autopsy. Ed's eyes continued to search. How long had it been since they'd heard the noise? Thirty seconds? Forty? It hadn't been very long. He wanted to know how the body had been moved, and where was the person that did it. He could be anywhere, yet there weren't many places to hide other than the meat lockers. As he continued searching, looking under tables and in cabinets, a thought popped into his mind that scared the shit out of him. He realized that the kid couldn't have done what they'd said he'd done if somebody was here to take the bodies. He reached down and grabbed his radio. He moved towards the center of the room, back to where the bodies were. Dean saw what he was up to and moved towards him. What are you doing? Dean asked, whispering. I'm calling it in, Ed replied, also in a whisper. The boy couldn't have done it if there's somebody in here. He faced Dean as he pressed the button on the side of his radio, opening the lines of communication. He stared forward as the sheet behind Dean began rising like a ghost. He wanted to yell, He's hiding under the sheet! But nothing came out. He was unable to turn away from the horror that was about to take place. Overhead, the fluorescent lights began flashing. The strong, constant light that had been there just seconds ago was replaced by a flicker that resembled that of a strobe light. A moment of light was replaced by a moment of darkness. That process repeated itself over and over again, making everything seem unrealistic and dreamlike. The sheet behind Dean continued rising, and something slid out from underneath the sheet. Dean must have seen the expression on his face because he turned around to see what he was looking at. Warm blood sprayed from Dean's throat, covering Ed's face in a crimson mist. He felt blood in his hair, on his cheeks, on his nose, and even in his mouth. He had to wipe away the blood just so he could open his eyes. He wished he would have kept them closed, for what he saw was more horrific than any of the three murder scenes or 16 car accident victims he'd seen over the course of his career. Dean was moving towards him, looking more like a zombie than a man. His throat was gone. Blood sprayed in every direction while his heart continued pumping. The spray weakened, indicating that his heart was as well. His partner was dying. Dean moved towards him slowly. His hands stretched outwards as if he wanted to give him a hug. There was no sign of the gun he'd been carrying moments before. The gun. In the heat of the moment, he'd forgotten all about the gun he was holding. He lifted his gun, pointing it over Dean's shoulder. He could make out an object on top of the metal table, moving around like an animal. 
He couldn't make out anything specific as the lights continued flickering. Something touched his shoulder. His first thought was that Dean had managed to grab hold of him. He moved his eyes down to see that Dean had fallen to his knees. Dean looked up with confused, pleading eyes. Those eyes moved behind Ed, to the spot where somebody else had a hold of him. Ed whipped around, ready to put a hole in whatever he saw. As he came face to face with the devil, his gun fell helplessly to the floor below. He tried to scream, but it was already too late. His throat was already gone. Chapter 16 The strange shadow forgot. Randy Thompson couldn't remember the last time he'd felt this good. The worst was over, and it was time for him to reap the rewards. His entire journey from the station had been filled with thoughts about how he would be rewarded by the community for solving this crime so quickly. He went to bed soon after getting home, sliding in next to his wife, who was fast asleep. Surprisingly, she didn't stir as he made himself comfortable next to her. He felt the warmth of his bed and quickly fell asleep, the fact that he caught the killer giving him peace of mind. He didn't sleep very long, nor did his good feelings last much longer. Shortly after seven, only two hours after he'd fallen asleep, the telephone rang, waking him instantly. He looked at his wife, realizing quickly that she had no intention of grabbing the telephone. He grumbled, reaching over her to grab the phone. He lifted it and put the receiver to his head. Uh, hello? Randy asked, clearing his throat of phlegm. Randy, it's me, a man's voice said. It was Brad calling back. I have a whole lot of bad news for you. What? Randy asked, trying to comprehend the words. What could be wrong? His mind suddenly returned to the events of the night before. The murders, the blood, and the capture. What are you talking about? He found that he was now completely awake. The few hours of sleep he'd had in the last couple of days were suddenly more than enough. He wanted to know what was happening and wanted to know right now. Jim's missing, Brad said. Jim? It took a moment to process. You mean Jim Hendricks? Yes, he disappeared from the crime scene last night. I drove back out there right after you left the station to, you know, get away from the screaming. When I got there, I was told that Jim hadn't been seen since he went outside to talk to you. Randy tried to remember when that was. It was shortly after Brad had left with Jason. He'd been investigating those strange prints on the ground when Jim had confronted him. That had to have been shortly before, too. Had he really been missing for more than four hours? Did you check the house? Have you tried calling him? Sir, his cruiser is still there, Brad said. As far as anyone knows, he never left the crime scene. I tried calling his house less than 20 minutes ago. His wife says that she hasn't seen him, but she will have him call us when he returns. I don't think she realizes how serious this is. Sir, we have no idea where he is. Is there anything else at the scene that could tell us anything? No, sir, not really, he replied. There was a long pause, as if he didn't want to say what was coming next. Randy was about to say something when he finally spoke. We also found blood. I know, there's a lot of it in the house. No, not in the house. Outside. About 50 feet from the southwest corner of the house, I saw some footprints in the wet grass. They led to a group of trees. I found blood, lots of blood, and a spot where it appears that a body was dragged through the grass. 
The path seems to disappear into thin air about 50 feet later. I don't know what to make of it, sir. Randy did. He pictured Jim being drug away with his throat ripped out. No, that couldn't be. They had the killer in custody. It gets worse, sir, Brad said, pulling him out of his thoughts. The reason why I'm calling you is that Iron Mountain's chief medical examiner just called me. Randy knew what he was going to say before he said it. The bodies are gone, sir. Randy was furious. How could something like this happen? He'd taken precautions to make sure that something like this didn't happen again. Somebody screwed things up. He was going to have somebody's head for this. What happened to the two officers that I requested to stand watch? Don't tell me that the IMPD screwed that up, too. I don't know, sir, Brad said. They're gone, too. The medical examiner showed up for a shift this morning and found the bodies missing. He also found blood in the morgue. He seems to think that their officers were killed there and removed from the premises. It's just like the night before. It's as if the bodies just got up and walked out. We both know that's a bunch of bullshit, Randy snapped. His wife's head popped up from the pillow for the first time. She looked at him with confusion. Bodies just can't get up and walk out of the morgue. Nor can they murder two Iron Mountain police officers. Have you spoken with the IMPD? No, sir, he replied. I've been told that they're on the scene, though. I'm waiting for some kind of response from them. I'll let you know as soon as I hear something. Can you handle this? Randy asked. He needed to be sure. Do you need me to come in, or can you handle it for a few more hours? Um, I think I'll be fine. There was definitely hesitation in his voice. Okay, let me get a few more hours of sleep, then I'll take over for you. He hung up the telephone without saying anything else. He looked at his wife as a defeated man. For the second morning in a row, his case was blowing up in his face. What once seemed like a cut-and-dry case was now looking much like the opposite. Doubt flooded his mind, and he wondered how difficult it would be to get that guilty verdict once the media caught wind of it. Everything okay, dear? Samantha, his wife asked. She looked at him lovingly, curious about what was happening. You look like a deer caught in the headlights. Randy didn't know what to say. He knew that his wife meant well, and wanted him to feel better. But he didn't know where to start. He'd always made it a policy not to bring his work home with him. He felt that telling her anything about the case would be hazardous to their marriage. He thought it over as his wife placed her hand on his shoulder. Her hand was warm to the touch. You can tell me, she said. Honestly, it'll be okay. He looked her in the eyes and knew she was telling the truth. She genuinely wanted to know what was bothering him. He decided that it was time to vent. He told her everything. For the first time in the nine years they'd been married, he told her every detail. He mentioned Jason, the missing bodies, and the officers that disappeared on the job. She took everything in, nodding at everything he said. When it was all over, she finally spoke as her arms wrapped around his neck. You've had a rough couple of days. I don't have anything that I can say that will make it any better. All that I can say is that this is all going to work itself out. It has to. Nothing can stay the way it has. Everything moves forward. I'm sure that you'll soon understand what's happened to those bodies and the missing officers will turn up. I don't know about that, Randy said. I know that you mean well and that you're trying to make me feel better, but that's not how the world works. This whole thing has gone to crap and there's nothing I can do about that. I fully realize that. All I can do is try my best 
to get that kid to turn on whoever he's working with. That's going to be my first order of business today. Right after you get some extra sleep, Samantha said, pushing against his chest with her hands, attempting to force him to lie down. You've been working almost nonstop for two straight days. I saw what time it was when you snuck into bed. You're getting some sleep and that's all there is to it. There was no point in arguing with her. He lied down and watched her do the same. He closed his eyes, feeling a sense of warmth. He had a good wife and would never do anything to ruin it. He closed his eyes, but there was no more sleep for him. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. 